Welcome to Afra Leads the podcast. Afra Leads consists of two sisters, myself, Julie and Steph, and we are on a mission to promote UK black business and culture. At present, we have an Instagram platform where we post positive daily posts about black business, groups, communities, celebrities, music, and so much more. Today, we are joined by the founder of Black Aristocrats Art, Glory Samjolly. Glory is a graduate of the University of Arts London. Her brand, Black Aristocrat Arts, aims to decolonise myths within art history. What we resonated with instantly was that Black Aristocrat Art aims to remove the misconception that Black history started with the transatlantic slave trade. It paints a more accurate picture of the Black nobility that have been whitewashed and silenced through history, something that we would have loved to have seen and learned about in our history classes when we were at school. We also love the narrative that Black aristocrat art brings, that of not just highlighting beautiful art, but showcasing the rich stories and lives that these individuals had. It's an honour to have this talented queen on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Glory. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for introducing me with that such lavish introduction. It's all true, it's all true. It's amazing but you know you're so young and you've obviously got this amazing mad skill and mad talent it would be crazy not to have you as a guest so we are really honored to have you on to the podcast without further ado I'm going to like dive straight into the questions I'm desperate to know lots about you saying to Julie before we recorded I'd followed and, and spotted I can't remember when but okay well I was born in London but my parents so my mom is from Jamaica and my dad is from Syria and as of today, I've actually never been to Africa, which is very ironic. Um, but I've always wondered why our parents as children or growing up never took us to Africa or took us or even like to our home country. And I feel like in a sense, like there's like some disconnection to like where I'm from. Mm-hmm. I, I know I'm born I'm born and raised in London I'm British obviously but it's like I don't know there's like this void and something that drives me back I just wanted to know about Africa the heritage more and like the archives in Africa so yeah I guess I think that's one of the things that made me so into art history mm-hmm. studying when I was actually studying and because I just have such a, a deep longing for knowledge and understanding some things that there just seems to be things that are missing in history, like gaps. So that's, I think, yeah, that's one of the reasons I went into art history. Oh, fascinating. But, Your dad's from Sierra Leone. Has he been back or does he, do you, do you still have family over there? I still have family there. And obviously before COVID, they were coming like irregularly, like here and there, like every one or okay. two years to London. We've never been there. I've never been there as of today. Never been to the continent of Africa. So, um, time, this time, definitely. And if you've got links there to explore, yeah, I, I really do want to. I really do. Yeah. That'd be amazing, though. What a fantastic thing to aim for to, you know, want to see your the place where your father was brought up, but obviously to explore wider as well, which is, you know, I can completely resonate with that glory as well. Like, we're British Ghanaians, so both of our parents are from Ghana, and I have actually been blessed to go back to Ghana a few times when I was younger, but there is a, you know, there is that void. I love the word that you said, void, because. You know, I'm, you know, British, I've been, I was born here. I'm really proud of my British heritage as well. 
but there is a, a massive sense of, of of your identity that's just not 100% when you don't really know every part of that African side as well, you know. Yeah. I hear stories about my mum's upbringing. I have uncles that have come from Ghana to visit us, you know, especially when we were younger. And it makes you realise, gosh, there's a massive part of my culture that I've really not tapped in with. And there's only so much reading or documentaries and things that you can watch that can give you that education, perhaps. But... And I do know what you mean. There is, yeah. but then again, it's to, to, you flip it to a positive that there's a whole world in Africa that we've got to tap into, which is a challenge for us, but it can be something that's a massive opportunity as well. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like even Africans themselves, or like I speak to so many people, they seem to have like a disconnect to their own history, which is, you know, ironic for me today coming from Europe, being born and raised in Europe. I just wonder, like, what are they, well, not all Africans, but, like, some that I speak to, like, what what are they, what are they taught in school, and who makes up the curriculum that they are taught, and, like, you know, I just have so many questions rolling around that, and then, like, where are the archives, where, there, there's just gaps that I, I, I need, I question, and I want to go into more, so, so I started this page. As just the beginning, the very, very beginning of the journey. Just, I, I know it goes a lot deeper. There's too much information out there. There's things that have been buried, things that have been destroyed, and there's the remnants, which I'm like speaking, like the remnants of history that I know are out there that have to be found. And there has to be a remodeling of the curriculum, in my personal opinion. Yeah. yeah. So did this quest, if you like, begin in school or is it something that started with your undergraduate studies in history of art? Yeah, I think it started with uni, actually, because I don't know, throughout my whole school life, I was just, you know, being a, I don't know, like a pawn of the curriculum, just, you know, they teach you this and then you do artist research, artist response, they give you the artist and you go ahead and respond to them. And... So I just really have all been brainwashed, I think, because the, the way the curriculum um, went up to like 2020 is just like, you know, the curriculum gives you specific artists that they deem that are culturally appropriate and worthy, like for regarding whether they're black or white or wherever they're from. And, and it's like, we're like inside this box, like in a box or in a cage we just it's so narrow the system you know and and it's so mainstream and it's like it's like we're conditioned to think not beyond a certain point in schools and especially in, when I was doing art as well I never really thought beyond okay I'm just gonna I'm not gonna like go into the history of or question where you know the archives and the history of art and why they're giving us so many, you know, white artists or more European artists. And and the system just seems colonised, I, I think. But I never really questioned that. I just went along with it, like, yeah, so this is it. This is art. You would see in, like, I don't know, if I gave you paintings that I did in the past, they were very whitewashed. And I never questioned that. I painted a lot of white people. I painted a lot of different races, but mainly I paint because we were taking sources from Google you know and 
<laughs> it's quite funny, but I don't know if you know. Um, it's like when you search for references, like uh, you want a foot, like what color is the foot when it comes up? What is the first hand that comes up on Google when you search hand? Or what is the first, uh, like, while sitting down? Like, then you, you go on Google references and the first 15 pictures are probably white girls. <laughs> it's just yeah. one of these things, yeah. but You've got small, prefix but black. it's big. Yeah. You have to put, as in, like, well, not just Google, but Pinterest or, yeah, you know, whatever. There's not just Google, other search engines, and we never really question things to a certain extent because school is like they're conditioning us to question the things they want us to question and the things they want so that I don't know the teachers can get good scores on 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 the grades that we achieve but I don't know yeah I just have a um, it kind of started the second year of uni because I was completely like I was just like a bit lost in my art, I was just continuing off from where I left in A-levels and school. The, um, just, you know, painting things just for the sake of the aesthetics and not really questioning in the culture or origins or anything behind it. So that's something, things kind of shift in the second year. It makes sense though, because I think, and, and again, I wouldn't put too much pressure on yourself. You're still incredibly young anyway, but the fact that you've gone through the education system with an element of trust with the people at the top of the chain, that it's going to be a reflective curriculum, it's going to represent, you know, that's, this happens across every single subject or faculty, you know, my sister is a doctor, so just to use that as a, an example, you would expect the medicine books, the, the theory books that she's been taught from if they were discussing a skin disease for example that that skin disease would, would show a ray of that same illness on a variety of different skin colors so that when the doctor you know sees on a patient whether they're white black chinese asian they'll be able to identify that but that's not happened till last year where a student in his third year med school created that book for himself because he realized that it was that he was at a disadvantage not being able to identify skin illnesses and skin diseases because it wasn't reflected in the curriculum. So for me, I always think, gosh, medicine, that's so important to the lives of everybody that a doctor treats. So, wow. yeah. So when I think of the art history element of it, of course, I think, gosh, crikey, you know, medicine's not a, a unique subject that that's just happened in. It's happened everywhere. You know, obviously history as well. What you mentioned so well, so articulately is the element of when you're told to research, of course, you're going to go into Google. Of course, you're going to go on the internet. And your teachers who, who potentially may, may not look like us, but may not be able to tell you, can you please make sure if you are wanting a more reflective or representative imagery or photo or a subject for the art, please make sure that you put black in front of Renaissance or something to pull the right imagery up. So it doesn't surprise me, to be honest, but every single time I hear a story or somebody recounts their journey, it just makes me realise just what a disservice our education system has, has done to so many people. But I suppose the beauty of your story is that you're still so young and you spotted it at such a young age and you, you're doing amazing bits to rectify that, which is really, really encouraging. It's amazing to see. Thank you. I mean, one thing that really ticked me off, I think, is seeing people and hearing stories from older people who've either lived in the UK or Africa that, they're telling me that they never knew black Romans existed. 
they're telling me this in like 2020, you know? And I'm thinking, wow. so what, were, what were you taught in school? What was I taught in school? What were you taught in school that mm-hmm. made us think this way? The paradigm, you know, in school, um, I remember history lessons particularly, we would learn about Henry VIII and we would obviously learn about, you know, British heritage and things that Britain, the wars and even beyond that and the aristocratic cultures, but never to do with the history of African-European people from the African diaspora in Europe, and which they labeled now Black Europeans, and they never did we learn about, we learned about roots, we learned about slavery, things to do with very colonized because colonialism has existed for not the whole of history but like from the 1500s 1600s it seemed that that was the only history of black british people or american people in different places other than africa and we never go beyond colonialism like what were africans in europe looking like before they before colonialism and then we had issues like I mean, it's so deep. It's very deep, and it just makes me very sad because um, a lot of black people they don't say this out loud, but they kind of say implicitly, like, "Oh, okay, well, my ancestors were just slaves. My ancestors were just colonized." They say it through the music. They say it through pop popular culture and mainstream media because of because of the paradigm that the mainstream curriculum created has created, has been created, is still creating, and I think is finally being squashed because we're in 2020 now and schools here are currently closed. I think there is an open door for recreating the curriculum. Definitely, yeah. And I think pages such as yours highlight so perfectly that there is another narrative that has to, must be told. And I do think there is an appetite to have a fuller, it's not rewriting history the history is there just as you said um, earlier on it's been hidden or not widely shared but just to have a, a truer fuller narrative um, both in Europe and within the African continent and also kind of the Caribbean nations as well and just to truly reflect what's happened and not look through rose-tinted glasses and things but I just wonder yeah. you mentioned that it was your second year of your degree that really sparked this interest. So you've not just been kind of, what I love about you is that you've been proactive in trying to create a different narrative and options for other people following and, and on and also, you know, those of us who are a bit older, just looking at what you, you're achieving. And I just wonder, was there a particular image that sparked this off for you? personally that then has led to what we see on either the Black Aristocrat or on Glory Some Jolly art? Yeah there have been it's not like a particular image it's like a collection of different images Uh, so we went on school trips in uni and I remember going to um, heritage galleries and not just in the UK, but in Spain as well. But it's like colonial Spanish heritage and like one of those ornate galleries where you go and everything's framed in gold and there's a lot of historical paintings, so many. And even when we went there, I took loads and loads of pictures and I just love the Renaissance. I love the style. But what I didn't particularly like is 
going into the space and seeing paintings of European people, but then like Africans, like who are auxiliary, shoved in a corner, like servants, and, or they don't really have a specific meaning in the, the painting, they're just there like to create an aesthetic or give beauty to the painting. And I was very disoriented because um, it's not, it didn't just begin there. It's, it's, you know, the National Gallery, Tate Britain. If you go to you know, these heritage galleries, they exclude representation or like any form of representation of Black European or African Africans in Europe in art history. And that's one thing that kind of made me begin this project which I called the Archives. And I remember I specifically decided this is what I'm going to do in my second year. And I am so passionate about it that I don't even care what anyone's going to tell me. I'm just going to do it and see what happens. And ever since I started, I think that's, that's, that's one, that project that I started with is really the thing that drew attention from so many people. And I never expected it, but I think that's when I really found, I really found something that I was doing right. <laughs> but yeah it because it was me not just painting aesthetically pleasing paintings but actually questioning a subject I'm really passionate about I just used to paint lovely people from lovely angles contrast and composition you know we're just in school we're taught composition what is the, the contrast what is the complementing what and all of these abstract different concepts of art but then we never we never take it into ourselves to create our own things and you know people especially who like abstract art and but even abstract art itself has context attached to it and for a long time what I was doing had aesthetic but never had any context attached to it and finally beginning a subject that had so much context unraveled in it that I didn't even know like other people were telling me things that I was like okay that about my art that I didn't even know that I was doing I was like okay (laughs) but that's one thing that that propelled me and I still want to continue this project I want to make it bigger grander and like regardless of like the circumstances and what things are going I still have like big vision for this sort of taking it from where it is and moving it to a new form. I love that you've said that, bigger, grander, because I suppose from somebody who's, you know, I'm not artistic in any way, shape or form, (laughs) but what I love about what you do and I suppose the appetite in the the world at the moment, education, especially over, you know, anything that comes to potentially black history. And I think there is a real opportunity, especially with somebody of your talent, your age, your your skill, and also with the, with the, with the pace that somebody somebody young somebody so young can put out. Um, I think there's a massive opportunity for something amazing, especially with, you know, even things like, I don't know whether you've seen Bridgerton. I haven't you've not seen, seen it, it yet. I, oh my God. I haven't seen, I was so quick. Uh, someone told me about it. I need to watch it. I said to myself, I'm going to watch it and give it, a try. I thought of you as soon as I saw the first episode. I was like, "This for me is like 
whether they get you in as a consultant, whether you go in and do some of the artwork in the background. But I was like, Glory, this screams you. This is going to be a, this, this would be a, a match made in heaven. And obviously the concept of the sort of nobility and even the queen being of black heritage in the show, massive. It sparked conversation, which I think is amazing. I suppose it goes back to the education piece again. So for me, when I was watching, I was thinking it's fantastic, obviously, number one, that it's out there and people are actually having conversations, which is brilliant, great. But it's 2020, you know, there's so many of us who would have thrived in an environment of school where if this was, you know, a topical conversation or if they had actual real life examples of nobility back in the day and we were taught their stories and their lives, I, for one, would have been a proud member of that, you know, class contributing and yeah. seeing myself in British history or in European history. But then again, I look and think, well, my teachers potentially didn't look, look like me or, you know, did, did you have teachers that looked like you when you were at university? Did, was there quite a reflective member of sort of staff faculty within the art history programme? No, <laughs> no. Right, OK. Like, I do remember this, like, one mixed-race guy, and that was as far as it went. And then, like, most of my tutors were Caucasian. The way they responded is they've seen it before, but in a different form. And my work was obviously quite different. And there in Wimbledon have been not many Black or African artists, but a few who were before me. And which, you know, there's such a lack of communication. For me, I felt personally there was a lack of communication from like me being able to meet other artists who went before me. Because I'm beginning to realize now they have such a similar um, art context and the practice to me that, you know, I don't understand how we never met, you know? Even, I don't know if you know Yinka Shinabara, he graduated from the same college that I went to. And his art deeply explores European culture and intertwining mm -hmm. it with African culture. Yeah, yeah. And um, I only found out that he went to the same college as me, like close to the end of first year. <laughs> I had no idea, but the thing is that there's so much things that we want to know and people that we want to meet, and there is not such a big community, Black and African people in in Wimbledon and in the whole of UAL in general. And I think that's one thing kind of made me feel a bit disconnected to the campus community most of the time. But, um, you know, but yeah, they're, they're nice people. It's nice and I know they mean nice. It's like not their fault that I have such a disconnection to them. It's just they, it, it's beyond them. The issues beyond them. It's not nothing they can solve is, is it? as individually. So, yeah. Um, Lots of universities are, are making efforts as like the whole universities to decolonize the whole curriculum, whether it's yeah. the law, arts, history, just making map. It's an agenda for change. Yeah. So that's where my question, I think it is possible if the appetite is there, if the, the will is there. It's progress, isn't it? It's about, you know, recognizing yeah. that the status quo is it doesn't suffice it doesn't serve anybody it doesn't serve anyone to not have that full narrative mm. aware and, and and also even just they talk about it I, I read an article about the music curriculum and okay. one board trying to remove Courtney Pine from a list of approved musicians that you could study it's almost like diversity of thoughts is beneficial for everybody so if you can look at and appreciate different 
forms of art from all over the world, not just kind of like a European or Eurocentric yeah. expression. It's like we have completely, when we're going into, from A-levels to university, it's like completely unlearn everything you learned from yeah. school because now that's not going to help you. And now we have to do it again, unlearn everything you learned before 2019 because that's not going to help you go forward in this like internet age. But forms and things that kept us in a box that they told us to come out of and that's what allowed me to actually put my brain, turn my mind on for once and think instead yeah. of just react to their syllabus and react to their, their units and their curriculum and their artists and it was wow very mm. like a very I don't know how you call it like a very deep journey like conquest and mm. it was fun very fun it but, sounds fun but I think they are trying to decolonize the curriculum in or they as in like student union and they're trying so hard I even I speak to people from student union you know that and Student Union is separate to UAL itself. I think UAL is the place where the these like black and African ethnic students feel sort of like disconnected. But the art union, the UAL art union, kind of try to they see that issue and they're doing so much things. They're trying so much to solve this void and this disconnect in that mm. community and make sure that they are you know equally as thought about as other students you know up north students and so they're trying but I personally feel like they're not there yet <laughs> like you know yeah it'll come with time I think if you think like you say the stuff that you learn in school and the time it takes you to unlearn it when you're going to uni in my head I always think a curriculum of hundreds and hundreds of years it's going to take a lot of time to even just work out yes. ways to completely yeah. restructure that. So, again, I, the positive is change is happening. I think the positive is that um, in lots of universities, as Julie said, they're having a more diverse staff network to make sure that that change is not just being corrected or amended by more white people in power. It needs to be changed by people that have lived experience you know as well personally I'm a quite a positive person so I always try and see a positive in everything so again it's yeah. obviously terrible that you know it's happened and like you say we've gone through school learning that you know the transatlantic slave trade is where you know black history yeah. started but and that's what most people you know go through school thinking and believing most so people, yeah yeah, so I think the positive is that change it's, is happening, but it's just going to take time and it's going to take people like yourself putting your content out there, changing narratives. And like you say, I love your passion. You want to go bigger. You want to go grander. You want to really make an impact. So as somebody watching somebody so young and talented do it, I am so proud to be a fan of yours and to you. watch you grow. It's going to be amazing. Thank you. I, just, I love the diversity of it, whether you're showcasing art you found from yesteryear that's showing yeah. Black Aristocrat or if it's your own art, whether it's in the kind of Renaissance style or the modern style. Because I think I was saying to Steph before we spoke to you that an image that appears in your on your website, the Black Aristocrat website of Dido Lindsay, that to me is the kind of probably only black aristocrat I was aware of before seeing all of the amazing images on your page. And um, just, I mean, I, I don't know a lot, but just I think that particular piece of art is quite poignant, isn't it? For lots of different reasons yeah. in terms of 
her being shown as she is, the level that she's at, she's not below, although she's slightly in the background, like she's slightly behind the other character in it, but she's not completely in the background. She's at the same yeah. height and it, she's obviously shown as a, a, a woman of substance. Um, but yeah, I just love what you bring to it and to share uh, the kind of treasures that you're finding, but then also like you are insanely talented and your, your work is amazing <laughs> and needs to well it's great that you're able to share it in that way but I love how as Steph said that you've got plans to go bigger yes and I'm sure you yeah will. I really I really would I love like one of my visions to open up like a an actual gallery where you can go to it and have I want to buy these paintings of these like aristocrats because they're all in like odd countries like Slovakia Russia or um, uh, or Ukraine and random places in Europe I'm like what are these portraits doing there and George like I need to buy them and put them <laughs> on display and and but it maybe one day it could happen and then yeah. having them there as heritage and then like getting artists and commissioning them who have the, like a similar style and creating art to put in the gallery is like one of my visions so it could be like one of the tourist attractions and like the first gallery to have like you know black people in art history but yeah, just that would be amazing. Can you imagine young kids getting off a school bus, yeah. going into that museum and that gallery and seeing all that melanin, all that gold, all that amazing artistry, the clothing. I would have jumped out of that museum buzzing if I'd seen that. I absolutely loved history at school. But again, I didn't, do you know what? I wasn't as switched on as, as you are, you know, in terms of you, you spotted an opportunity or the, what was missing for me, I just, I, I did Renaissance history at A-level actually. I liked Renaissance history because I liked the, the, you know, the element of going to court and I liked all the, to be, you know, the, the controversy as well. But yeah, I love a bit of gossip. People that know me know oh, that I love the gossip. No, I thought you um, liked Philip II, wasn't it? You were about <laughs> Philip II. Yeah, Philip II was the, <laughs> the, who we did our sort of, not dissertation, but you know, a big essay on and stuff, but well, yeah, we did Spain and the Escorial and all that grandeur and all the wars mm. and the strategy. I loved all of that, yeah. But if I had had a chance to really see, you know, the true history in Europe at the time and the and to become a, a black noble, you must have done serious bits, you know. I'm not just talking being, you know, connected. You must have done <laughs> some serious bits to have been a black noble back in the day. That is a story that I would have loved yeah. to have been told, you know. Yeah, I think it takes a lot of paradigm getting into the paradigms because when you think like, wow, it must have taken a lot of effort and strength to be a black aristocrat at the time. But maybe in that time, that was something considered normal for them. There are so many more of the undocumented stories. Mm -hmm. How yeah. are we supposed to know that there could have been more? I, I have like a fraction, even though you see quite a few paintings on the page. It's, it's hardly, it's like less than a percentage of the probably millions of stories that have, were not ever recorded in Europe's history. And, you know, it's just, that's why like, it's like one of my visions to kind of like use what we we're making history now and use what we have now mm. to create history and put it into effect, into physical manifestation in an actual gallery, in a place where people can come to, even if it's like, having a virtual gallery for the time being I've seen like 3D models of virtual galleries and websites which look really amazing and just having that and then so that people can understand more about these people these people that existed and their backstory one thing that is a big challenge is 
finding sources like art history sources and people always come to me and say oh no that's not the correct information I am an art historian of this and that I studied this and this is not the correct name someone said to me this is the near that Bianjo, I don't know what that word is, perspective of why do you always use the, the European name of the painting? I'm like, it's so difficult to find information, finding the name of some of those paintings. I can only find so much and I would love to work with art historians. I would love yeah. to work with people in this field and go to the archives and actually get you know, sources, physical, like I'm working with a company now and they have art historians. And I think this is a good thing because I'm finally looking into sources, actual sources, actual evidence, <laughs> you know, instead of just going to secondary sources, like, okay, mm -hmm. well, here it says this name and going to the gallery and take, I, I just, I really want to do that. That would be amazing. I think you can yeah. sense your passion. Yeah, as well, which I love about it. Same. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and, and we all benefit from it. And so thank you so much for digging deeper to get all of the answers and to share it with us. But then you're, you're creating such a rich resource for the rest of us. And yeah, it is appreciated, definitely. So I suppose one of the questions that my sister was actually really keen to find out was, in your opinion, who was the most interesting Black aristocrat that you've discovered and why... Personally, was it just so sort of groundbreaking for you? Mm, most interesting black aristocrat that I, uh, well, I don't have much to work from because I, if I had like loads and loads of people I knew, but I mean, when I was starting up my project, I only knew like Dido Bell. Yeah, <laughs> because we went to the Brentwood house on our first year and seeing the painting, even though it wasn't the real painting known that, the real paintings in Stone Palace in Scotland was like wow this is the I, I, this is the first time seeing this painting live even though I've read books about her I've watched movies I've never actually been to the place where she lives to the actual site and just learning about the the, the atmosphere in which she lived in it, Imagine if there was that on a bigger scale, you know, but it was just her, you know, it was just her. Then we went back to the, the, the Europeans and learning of their history again. But I was fascinated, so I, I just stood there. And you can even see it on my Instagram page. I stood there and just took pictures next to it. But she was, I guess, the most interesting for me because of her story and how even before Bridgerton, before, now it's like after, you know, Black Lives Matter movement and this stuff, they're trying to diversify Netflix. I mean, they've been diversifying Netflix like from 2018, but I see Bridgerton as like a, like a response to, to just the lack of diversity in entertainment and political issues. I don't really see it as something that has genuine motives becoming trendy because if it was not for such a time like this, where there's a lot of Black Lives movements going on and the diversity has become more popular, I don't think Bridgerton would have found this opportunity. And the time when Bell came out, it was not as popular. But if Bell had come out in 2020, that would have been yes. blown up, I think. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So that's really good point. <laughs> but then there are other movies that I think of that might be a bit before your time, which show my age, but um, <laughs> things like Much Ado About Nothing, when Denzel Washington was cast in one of the lead roles, and mm -hmm. I think he's 
brother who was cast um, alongside, I think Keanu Reeves played his brother. I remember there being quite a bit of buzz about that in the 90s, but not like positive, but it was like negative. Yeah. If he would be, um, like there would have been black characters in that position at that time. And then also a bit more recently, but the kind of Baz Luhrmann version of Romeo and Juliet, that, that had quite a diverse cast. I love that version. I'm just obsessed. I love Mercutio yeah. in that yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what a great, great, great <laughs> film. Yeah, no, yeah, that is very, like, it's like been a slow unraveling of diversifying through entertainment through media um because they recognize that it's so so not diverse and so whitewashed in the sense that they felt the need to now that you know the world has become more diverse let's diversify the characters so we can get more views on our movie products and entertainment and now that diversity is trending let's do something in the moment that's trending that's the way I see it but at the same time some movies can have like genuine motives like you know the guys are filming but I do think it was trying to actually bring to our attention that maybe because they say Dada Bell was the first black aristocrat but I don't think that's true I don't think it was the first black aristocrat I think that she's the first black aristocrat that they discovered yeah but I think that the movie is good because it maybe brings to our attention that there may have been more yeah yeah and that are shoved under the rug and they don't teach us about this Mm -hmm. in schools of course but I don't know what reason some gender but yeah they don't teach us about any of the figures that I put I always wonder how comes we never learn about them and I think one of the reasons why is because the lack of information on them. There's not enough information about these figures. And that's one thing that, that makes me question even more. Why? Why yes. Why is there not information on them? There's so much information yeah. on, you know, Queen Sophie and Queen Victoria and other people from the European diaspora. But why is there not enough information or exactly. anything, anything that is kept from the you know, African archives and archives of Black history. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. And I think the more I sort of speak to people, especially elders, like, in the community, you know, if you destroy somebody's history, you kind of diminish their future. So this element of lack of information about where we come from is definitely strategic. You know, it's definitely, it was definitely a war tactic to make, to lessen our strength. Um, you know, I, somebody else I spoke to about history and art, the black history topic was saying, you know, we know so much and so much trivial information about, you know, European history. Everybody can recite a rhyme about Henry VIII's wives. You know, yeah. there's so many people that know about kings in Europe that had wives that were 13 and 12. Again, it's scandalous, but we know about it. When you think the glorious contributions that black people had had in history, the information is there, but there is a reason why they don't want you to find it. It is there. You know, there must be an abundance of it. But why are we not asking the questions to why are people, you know, educators, people that are writing the, the, the curriculum in charge of the curriculum, why are they content in not showing it? And that's the question that really frustrates, well, frustrates me to the core, really. But thankfully, there's people like yourself, Laurie, people who, you know, challenge the status quo and, do, you know, are really representing the culture themselves in a really current way and I love the fact that it's on you know Instagram it, you know young people can access that and it's not a platform that you know even people that are you know a bit older they can still access it as well and see all the beautiful shades the different you know shapes of the nose the different skin tones all of that beautifulness that just pops off the grid I just think it's ace that you do that it really is good 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I only made this page in 2019. I made it just over a year ago. There are like a few other pages on Instagram, but they're like called the Diaspora Collective. They don't have very easy tags that where people would like just search for that and they would find paintings and it's, it's like spread out all over the place like someone will have one picture of Guido Bell on their feed and then the rest of them is just them and, and, and enjoying their best life and nothing to do with art history and I just wanted to find something that connects everything together yeah. all in one puts it in your face and says here because my page, it, I only this year I started posting other people's art, you know, contemporary art, because I wanted the page mainly to be for just posting historical art, you know, in, so people wouldn't just come to me and say, oh, this is just a page of Black people dressed in Victorian clothing and recreated various sort of artwork. It's not that at all. Like someone commented the other day, <laughs> I was just like, what? Why is this ignorance here? But she was like, oh, what a shame. This is just another page of Black people dressed in Victorian clothing. She made it seem out that it was just one of those shallow. But she never even looked through the whole account. So she doesn't know, like, when I first started posting. That page isn't there, Yvonne. Do you know what I mean? I think <laughs> also, even if it was a page of people dressed in Victoria, there were Black Victorians. So that person needs to... Get- educate yourself I to be honest I get a lot of trolls I just get a lot of people saying oh you don't have the correct information what the, there were no black aristocrats what is this page but I, I think I remember coming across a Hitler on Instagram and there was actually a picture of Hitler but it was, it was very no but what happened is I think he, he just sent me like a few I don't think he liked the account he sent me a few images of the, the Nazi symbol and we need to bring back the pure generation or something like that and oh what I did I didn't really respond to him I just like screenshotted his message his DM and I posted on all three of my accounts like within <laughs> two days the account disappeared like he didn't exist anymore <laughs> I guess I've done something, um, Good. but um, right. yeah, that I do. Yeah. It's not nice at all. It, well, it's more than it's just so disgusting, as Steph said, and unpleasant and unnecessary that you'd have to spend time even looking at it. But I'm glad it doesn't deter you or derail you in what you're doing. And can I just ask, no. when did you graduate from uni? June 2020. Oh, so, so I just wonder, does what you were kind of, you're, you're clearly passionate about, does it all align in terms of you going on your natural hair journey as well a few years ago? And did, did you think all of that? I, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I started my natural hair journey at the beginning of 2019 when I just cut all of the, the my hair which was chemically treated with relaxer I just cut all the straight bits off because the way it was growing out was growing out in two different textures which I think yeah. happens is common but like I never made the decision to relax my hair it was just always like that my mum actually done it from a young age she should have never done that because I always assumed that my hair was straight I was like nope my hair I don't have curly hair my hair's straight like what are you talking about and <laughs> when everyone tried to tell me that's not the natural texture of my hair like yes it is it's like, this is my this is my natural hair and she should have never done that for that reason and I see a very big problem with parents doing that to their kids hair because then they will grow up with this misconception that their hair is 
straight like me. So, and it's, it's deeper than just to hair relaxer. It's many other things that come to like condition us into thinking, you know, there's a lot of like straight wigs and things like that going about. And I even stopped wearing straight wigs. Like I used to wear straight wigs, like simultaneously, sometimes even my hair out. But I stopped doing that. I would get like a curly wig or anything that is similar to my hair texture, but only to keep my hair in a protective hairstyle. Otherwise, I would just leave my hair out because I feel like wearing these wigs, you're, it's like taking away a part of the identity. Because the more you wear it, the more you become attached to it and the more you feel like is part of you and your natural hair is lesser of you and you know you don't see this kind of thing happening you don't see many white people like they do wear wigs but not to the extent that we are pushing wigs in you know they call it african-american cells lace wigs and all this that it's not to that extent so i just stopped it completely because i just don't want to go down that route makes sense Um, i totally see it i just yeah, I think it's great as black women yeah, just have so many options. Yeah, that's good, and I think I think it's not like it's just my personal opinion yeah. and yeah. my personal thing. But my natural hair texture was not straight, and I, I just like one thing that I felt that was putting that was not just the subconsciously, but the different hair that I was always wearing, mm-hmm. and seeing how it was more popular than natural hair, and. So I just stopped it because I just didn't want to conform to like mainstream trends. Yeah. And yeah, I love that. I think it is becoming a trend now, natural, going natural. That's becoming trendy, which is a good thing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we've become trendy again. We've both, we've both done it. Natural hair journey. You've done it. Oh. And it's, I'm loving, I think a lot of it is kind of miseducation and kind of the perception that our hair in its natural state is a ruly and needs to be tamed in some way I mean I know I've got my hair in braids but mm. I just love it when my hair is out but obviously the weather is not conducive for it to be yes, out the weather is exactly that's yeah. another thing <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole another topic because then they'll tell you wow it, your hair it doesn't thrive in this in this climate you need to put your hair in a protective hair so with these amount of months there may be in the summer you can because we're not in the continent of africa which i think our hair is made for oh, you know. actually was from jamaica and i was going to ask if you've ever been there but i'm coming across british jamaicans oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> i'm british jamaican but i actually have found out i've got ancestry in ghana or in sierra oh, you, know, yeah. just, you know people are looking it goes further doesn't it yeah, yeah totally wonderful it's beautiful to see but that might not have been the case you know 10 20 years ago wow the new generation is powerful, man. I love it. Yeah, it's just good. It's good to find out where you're from. And even I would love to do that. You know, as British Jamaicans, sometimes, because, you know, I people from the Caribbean, that were, came from the Caribbean, actually came from Africa. And in the time I was growing up, a lot of Jamaicans chose not to acknowledge that. Yeah. Uh, but and I always thought, well, yeah. Jamaica's Jamaica and Africa and Africa they're two different places but then I studied I actually studied the history and you know they came from the Creole people which is actually in Sierra Leone and lots of places in West Africa they came from West Africa and they were shipped to the Caribbean plantation many even Jamaicans you know don't know this about the roots yeah, it's sad as well about um, how some Sierra Leoneans have gone to get, back, gone back there. You know, in terms of I don't know if it's repatriation is the correct term, but you know, 
the the capital was called Freetown because you were meant to it was a created yeah. nation again and uh, again with other neighboring states but it's fascinating and oh we could talk to you forever but yeah. we <laughs> what if we ask you the melanin magic question because I'm really intrigued to hear what your answer is to that so that is just to remind ourselves and, and you and what are your hopes and dreams for black British business and culture in the next five to ten years and do you have any insights on how we're going to get there yeah, my, my hope and my dream <laughs> is that we actually see a more diverse curriculum that actually speaks about, that actually has information on every single one of those figures that I post on my page. And we don't have like a miseducated generation of people like we were or just undereducated about Black history. Uh, where we only learn about abolitionist slave trade and colonialism you know there's more than that and businesses they probably just see actual literacy so they can advance in places where other people have advanced in you know like I'm an investor I met a mentor from Uganda a few years ago and he's a millionaire, you know, and he introduced me to businesses that white people would probably invest in first before black people in the UK ever had the opportunity or chance. And the same thing happens in Africa. It's because we have a lack of financial literacy and we're always taught, go get a job and go, go study so you can have this job so you can be a slave to the corporate system. Yeah, like, I hear that. And people from of other races, I'm not always taught in the same way we are. Some are, but some are not. And because they've been taught from a young age where to put their money, you know, money, instead of working for money, they made money work for them. And they were taught mm-hmm. that from a young age. They put their things into systems that allows their money to work for them. So they generate passive income. And it's been going on for generations and generations. But we notice that our generation, in, in you know the black community many of our ancestors or you know they didn't have a foundation they didn't have the financial literacy all they know is the corporate world and you could see the legacy that that has left and it's very little and scarce and in this time that we live in that legacy is going to prove itself like futile and useless because growing up and obviously it's good to, to work and it's good to get like a profession and but there is more, and I, I want black businesses to actually go beyond now and start and start being more innovative and start being more taking more risks and putting their money into systems that they would have not usually had an opportunity because there's too many opportunities now out there for them not to go and put your money in to make it work for you. There's too many, so that's one of my things for the next five to ten years. So we instead of just making money you generate wealth making money yeah. generating wealth are two different oh. things yeah Glory. <laughs> i absolutely hear every single thing that you're saying and i think somebody so young that has already grasped that you're going to be want yeah. to already want to watch now but you for the future my just so glad that we've got to meet you now and just you're to see you shine you're going to go <laughs> you can have that Thank you. amen <laughs> amen visualize many, manifest you've got this Yes, definitely. And I want to see this in the black community. I want to, but it's so, again, it's paradigms. It's like what we've been taught from a young age is you have to work hard. But in this generation, working hard may get you somewhere. But if you're not working smart, 
you're only going to go so yes. far. It's about it's well not, done. Mm-hmm. Not just working hard, it's working smart. You have to yeah. now put your money into systems that duplicate itself. So yeah. You don't have to keep trying to, you know, you hear about your parents getting three or four jobs so you can sustain a household, but this, this is not. This is not, you know, when they talk about creating multiple streams of income, it doesn't mean getting multiple jobs. It means it means putting your money into systems that work for itself so that you don't so that you generate capital, you, you buy assets, not luxuries. And in, in this generation we live in so many you see so many flashy mm-hmm. um, rappers and <laughs> artists and everyone buying luxuries. <laughs> it's true, man. You just see, but we're not taught to yeah. buy assets instead of luxuries and can see this in the black community like i'm a man i want to get this and that it's all about my jaws and it's all about my nike and you can just see all of these material things and you can't see actual value or knowledge that as much so it's one yeah. of my hopes for businesses but then for the culture as well that we become more diverse and oh my god what a great answer absolutely well-rounded and you've got me so pumped up I want to go and invest I want to educate myself I want to just share this podcast to everybody that was amazing I love it so how can our listeners get in touch with you and follow you on social media do you mind just giving us all of your social media handles yeah so my main Instagram is gloriology which is glory and then ology at the end of it and that has all my other socials connected so the black and Red art and then my art page is connected to it so it's just glory some jolly art glory some jolly art.com so i just kept it simple for everyone if you want to go there so that's all of my instagram i'm on facebook as well i have the black and page everything that i post on instagram automatically goes there as well so fabulous that's it from us today thank you so much glory <laughs> for joining us for enriching our minds it's been a pleasure to have you and i'm sure our listeners will gain a lot from it as well and thank you to our listeners for joining us and join us again next time thank you thank you thank you so much thank you